You are listening to the PRC Students Podcast. This sermon was recorded during our series titled The Creed, where we'll examine the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is a universal creed with Christians from nearly every branch of the faith agreeing with its contents. But it is more than a historic document. It is an accurate representation of our faith. We pray that the Lord speaks to you through this message. Uh, We are, as you know, continuing our series called The Creed, What We Believe. Creed just means a set of statements of things that you believe. Everybody has, um, has a creed, whether they say them or not, because what you live is actually what you believe or should be. So we've done this the past few weeks, and we'll do it again today. I'd like for us to all say together the creed, and hopefully by the end of these weeks, We'll have it all memorized. So do we have it ready to go up there? Awesome. Okay, so let's all say it together uh, from the beginning. There we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's go back to the first slide, please, and look over this one section. Last week, we spoke about this. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, and we said his only begotten son doesn't mean that he created Jesus. God did not create Jesus. God the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. They are one God in three distinct persons, and that's called the Trinity. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. His only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Here's what we're going to talk about tonight, this next part. He suffered, I want you guys to remember that word, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And that last part there, he descended into hell. Uh, We're not going to get into that. Why it's in parentheses? It's, it's something that I decided to leave in just because um, uh, some people believe 100%, so people don't. And it's just a confusing verse from Second Peter where uh, it says that he, dis- he went and preached the gospel to those who are already dead. We're not going to get into that for purposes of just time and so our minds don't melt, okay? Um, but it's there in parentheses. So he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. I was at a Bible study this week at my work. There's a few of us Christians who get together, and once a week we try to go over some verses in the Bible. And we read this week, we read through, if you could pull this one up too, 1 Peter chapter 4 with verse 12. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open it up. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. And when we read this, I actually thanked them because I'm like, guys, I'm actually preaching on suffering this week. So thank you for giving me some, some sermon notes. I started taking down some notes. 
And we read this verse, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter is talking here to his audience, and he's saying, don't be surprised when you as a Christian suffer, as if it's something abnormal or out of the norm. He's saying, be ready for it. And in other parts of the Bible, too, it says that don't be surprised when the world hates you. Also in 2 Timothy, we read this a few weeks ago in our first series on this. It says, indeed, all who desire to be like Christ will suffer. And in our, in our, in our Bible study group, of course, we shared some, some uh, very just darker times in our lives when we were suffering. And then we read this verse, and it's funny that although we read and we believe, it's like, yeah, we're going to suffer, we're going to suffer. You know, we're children of God, so Satan is always ready to attack us. He's ready to put us down. It seems that when we're going through it, we always ask ourselves, why, God? Why? Why me? Why this? Why now? And... We realize that suffering is nothing new on this earth. Everyone suffers, whether you're Christian or not. Is that correct? Not only Christians suffer, everybody suffers. Suffering is something that's been around not since the creation of the world and of human and of mankind, not since then, but since the fall of mankind. God created everything, if you remember. In, in, in a few weeks ago, he created everything and he created you and me very good. He created everything else good. He saw that it was good. He created, and when he created us, he said it is very good. God created everything good without death, without sin, without suffering. Man rebelled, an open act of defiance against the very word of God. And because of that, they ushered into the world a separation from God. There was a veil that was put between man and God because God cannot be around sin. And so God cut off, and there was a big valley between God and man. And on, on one side was God, on the other side was sin. And from there, even from there, God already had his plan of redemption to bring us back together. But because of that fall, there is sin and suffering and you say, well, that was a long time ago. Adam and Eve, right? They were, they were way back when. What's that have to do with us? Well, that sin, that original sin, that's the theological term, the original sin has been uh, imputed or has been uh, given to us through our spiritual DNA, if you will. Through one man, sin entered the world. That's what it says in the Bible. Through one man, sin entered the world. And entered, and that's why everything around us, there, there's sickness, there's disease, there's suffering, families around us that suffer, kids that suffer, parents that suffer. And it's not because God created suffering. It's because mankind rebelled in an open act of defiance and sinned against God. You see, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. 
We're not sinners because we sin. We're sin because we're sinners. This, this body, this uh, carnal nature is naturally drawn towards what is sinful. If we were to be left to our own devices or to do whatever we want to do, our body naturally would want to sin. That's why we devote ourselves daily to pick up our cross and to follow the Lord and to seek his guidance and his will. Because if we're left by our own, our minds, our hearts, the, 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 the attacks from the enemy are going to draw us back because it wants to pull us back. But we have been saved by God, and we'll talk about that later because I'm not opening up tonight with a hopeless statement of just suffering and pain in the world. It will get better, I promise you. Just stay awake for the next 30 minutes. So if God is all loving then, it begs the question, why does he allow evil to exist? Why does God allow suffering to exist? If he's an all loving God, why not just erase suffering from the world? And we have a promise in scripture that one day he will. In Revelation where it says that there will be no more tears. There will be no more death. We will be as God created us to be with him in eternity. But for now, why does God allow suffering? Without getting too technical, let's just think like this. Is eliminating pain and suffering always the loving thing to do? I'm not trying to be funny or smart, but is is eliminating pain and suffering and boundaries always the safe and the most loving thing to do? I'll give you an example that make you think. There are some people, very few people in this world, that are diagnosed with a medical condition. I was going to write it down and say it, but I can't pronounce it. So I'm just going to say it's a medical condition. Go and Google it, okay? Where they can't feel physical pain. They can't feel physical pain. And at first you're like, man, that's great. Are you kidding me? I, I, I don't have to, you know, every time I stub my pinky toe on the sofa and you start, you know, or step on that piece of Lego, um, you, you want to feel anything. But pain is actually there for a reason. Why? Because it lets us know that something is wrong. Right? When you stub your toe, those pain receptors and those nerves shoot up to your brain and say, hey, look at your pinky toe. Your nail might be hanging off. Do something about it. Don't let it get infected, right? Pain is there for a purpose. Let's go to emotional pain. There are in the world what's known as sociopaths. People who cannot feel emotion. And there's different degrees on it. It's a spectrum. But let's just go to the most extreme. And we hear them in the news. Like all the serial killers. All the just terrible, evil things. They don't feel anything emotional. And, you know, we're given these emotions. We're, we're allow, God allows these emotions in us. Especially emotional ones. When we feel pain. When we feel suffering. It means we have to do something. You say, hey, something's not right. Pain is a symptom of an underlying problem. And pain points to a physician or to a doctor, right? Pain points and calls out for help and suffering. So then that begs the next question. Okay, God allows suffering uh, for us to, to you know, uh, spiritual, emotional suffering, I guess, so we can cry out to him and call to him and be in need of a savior. Okay, so then do we say, is God a masochist? Does he enjoy seeing us suffer? Is he a far and distant God somewhere out in the, in the ether 
that just wants to see us suffer so that we can turn to him and pray and worship him? In some religions, yes, he is. Not our God, but their God in some religions. Here's the amazing thing, and here's the beauty of the gospel, is that there's suffering in this world. We can't escape it. We can't. I wish I could stand up here and say that the life of a Christian is painless, that there's no suffering, but that's just not true. And if anyone tells you otherwise, if you hear sermons or pastors that say, well, if you're sick, it just means you're not praying enough. I beg to differ. You know, I've met someone here from our church, an older brother. He was talking to me and he said, kind of like Paul, I prayed for the Lord to heal a certain part of my body, an organ that I I was suffering and I was struggling with. And God said, no, because I want you to remember what I brought you. That's, and, that's, and he lived with that. He said, I'm okay with that. It hurts, it suffers. But that, that's how mature this man was in his relationship with God. I mean, he, he knew why God was keeping him there. Now, some would say, as I said before, well, you're just not praying hard enough. You need to pray more. And God will, maybe, yes, and God does that. But here's the beautiful thing. Here's what I want to say. There's suffering and pain and sickness in this world but we are not alone. We are not alone. And I don't mean just in a spiritual, you know, metaphysical sense that God cares about us and he sees us. God came down to earth and suffered physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. He suffered more than any other person on earth. God saw that there was suffering on earth. And as a loving father, he loved the world so much that he sent his son into the world to suffer as well. He sent his son into the world to suffer. He suffered more than any of us have and knew all of the temptations that we know. As we said in the first week, God is not a distant God. He is an almighty and all-powerful God. As I said, on the day of Armageddon, there's not going to be a big battle between good and evil who's gonna win no god's gonna snap his fingers that's it he's done that's it god's almighty it's not gonna be you know a climax where we determine who wins no god's gonna win god has already won he's almighty he's all-powerful but he is 100 invested and interested in every detail of your life the bible says he knows every single hair on your head and every single hair on your head that falls off hey Guys, it might happen to you. I'm just saying, watch out. Stock up on Rogaine now. <laughs> but he knows every single detail, every single detail of our lives. I'd like to talk a little bit in the next few minutes about the sufferings of Jesus. Because that's what, we're, what we read tonight. That he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Jesus was fully God and fully man. 100% man and 100% God. Um, these two states, or two, uh, if you want to get technical, um, hypostasis, these two uh, different, um, uh, uh, I don't even know how to say it, right? Because it's not easy to understand. In our minds, it doesn't make sense. But God was 100% man, 100% God. He didn't um, become God once he resurrected from the dead, or he didn't um, reject his godhood and, and take his, his uh, 100% humanity and left 0% God's side. No. Where it talks about he emptied himself and not consider equality something with God to be grasped, that talks about something else. But God was 100% man, 
Jesus was 100% man, 100% God. He knew hunger. He knew thirst. He wept. He was sorrowful. He was angry with a righteous anger. When he, when he took the whip and cleared out all the money lenders, I saw something interesting this week, just made you think a little bit. This is, it's not really found in, in, in anywhere, but um, someone that's a whip maker said, you know, to make a whip, it takes hours and hours to really braid together the cords to make a whip, you know? That means Jesus stood there and he thought about what he was doing. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to clear this of all unrighteousness, of all unholiness, because this is my father's house and this will be a place of worship. He had those emotions. He knew sadness, hunger, thirst. He wept for Lazarus. And of course, he died for us. He died for you and for me. And when we say that Jesus died for you and for me, what we're really saying is, how did Jesus die and why did Jesus die? Because we know when and what, and, but how and why did Jesus die? Well, let's look at how. We know that he was delivered to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was a governor of the area. He didn't like the Jewish people. He was placed there kind of as a, you know, a governor, the, the mayor of, of, of the whole area. And he was delivered to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate first, he said, okay, let's just take this man and go and whip him and flog him. And flogging means uh, ripping chunks of flesh out from your back, right, with a, a heavy uh, a whip that has like little claws on it. So he flogged him. He said, okay, go flog him. And I think that should be enough. He comes back. And he asked Jesus, um, these people say you're a king. Are you a king? And Jesus says, you say that I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, he says, I could call, I think it was 12 legions of angels to come and save me and protect me. I did a little research on this. Of what, uh, One legion means 6,000 of something. So in the Roman army, 6,000 um, soldiers would be a legion. Twelve legions, if I'm doing my math right, 72,000 angels. Somewhere in the Bible, I, I forgot the exact place, but one angel wiped out, I don't know how many, hundreds of thousands, 185,000 people or something like that. One angel. Can you imagine? 72,000 angels, what they could do? It's billions and billions of people. They could just wipe out and save Jesus and bring him back up. But Jesus says, they're not coming to take my life. I am laying it down. This didn't surprise Jesus. In fact, it was the will of the Father for him to suffer. It was the will of God the Father for Christ the Son to go through this. Don't think that Jesus was surprised when he was being led to suffer. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane where Peter took out the sword and it's like, oh, I'm going to save Jesus and cut off the guy's ear. And Jesus was like, Peter, calm down, Relax. You don't think I can protect myself? Picked up the ear, put it back on. I got this, okay? This didn't catch Jesus by surprise. Can you imagine knowing, knowing you're God and that you are going to suffer? Knowing in your position that you don't have to do something, but because of the love for somebody else, you lay down your life. Jesus was tortured, beaten, abused, yet he chose to endure and suffer. And how did Jesus die? Well, we have a few examples and a few words that he said as he was dying. 
because he was pushed to the limit. And when you're pushed to the limit, your character shows, right? When your back's up against the wall, when you're between a rock and a hard place, your true character comes out. And what did Jesus do when he was on the cross, when he was crucified? One thing he said was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. He also said, as he was on the cross suffering, he thought about his mother. And he said, woman, behold your son. He was telling the disciple that's the next to him. And, and in the next verse, then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. In other words, he was saying, take care of her. Take care of my mom. I have all the things to think about. He was thinking of that. When he was humiliated and the thieves on the cross were saying, you save the others, save yourself. But then one of the thieves saw how Jesus was dying and said, this man's something else. We're over here complaining. We're screaming at the top of our lungs, gasping for air. And Jesus is saying, take care of my mom. God, forgive them. And what does this thief say? Lord, remember me when you go into paradise. And Jesus says, truly I tell you that you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus died how he lived, full of love, compassion, and in his suffering, he never, ever forgot his purpose. He never forgot the reason for his suffering. Because in every suffering that you and I have as well, there is a purpose for it. There is a reason for it. Pain points us to something, leads us to someone. Jesus died how he lived, full of love, compassion, and forgiveness. We've looked at how Jesus died and how he suffered. Why did Jesus die and why did he suffer? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the first part. For Christ also suffered once for sins. And I'll stop right there. Christ is, we, we all know by now, I hope, but this is the first time you're hearing this, this is important. Christ died for sins, once and for all. Not many times, not asking us to do something more, but once and for all, he died and he paid the price for every single sin on earth. In his mercy, God took the punishment that was meant for you and me and he put it upon Jesus. That's what mercy means. Mercy means that someone else takes your spot. And Jesus took our spot when we should have suffered for that sin. Because remember, we are fallen creatures. Romans says that not one of us is righteous. Not one of us is good. If you have lied before, if I've lied before, and I know I have, I'm a liar. I've broken, I've committed a cosmic treason against God. And that sin needs to be paid for. That penalty needs to be paid for. But just a little lie, it doesn't matter. With God, it's all or nothing. It's black and white. You have broken his law. And we are sinners. We are sinners. There's no one righteous, no one born righteous. The most uh, righteous thing that God could do as a loving judge would be to give us the correct sentence. The argument comes up again. Well, if God is truly all powerful and all loving, wouldn't he just ignore the sin? Well, I'll present you with this. 
What if there is a judge, a real life judge, and before him is somebody who robbed a house? Would that judge truly be righteous and loving if he said, look, you robbed a house, you took a ton of money, you've caused a lot of suffering for this family, but I'm going to let you go off scot-free. No harm done. I think there's a lot of harm done there because people would be up in rights. They'd be, you know, cancel the judge, right, on Twitter. They'd be like, like, this guy's not a good judge. This person sinned. This person did something wrong. He broke the law, and this judge is just forgiving people left and right. God is a righteous judge, and he has to punish that sin, and that sin needed to be punished. And God saw that there was this big chasm between himself and us. Remember, from the fall of man, the big chasm. There was a, a giant ravine, and we couldn't reach out across because this sin was coming up, and it separated us from God. Yet the cross, what it did, if you can imagine, this cross was, was laid down across that big chasm, across that ravine, and there was now reconciliation with the Father. Not just reconciliation. By reconciliation, I mean you come together with the Father, in his mercy, God took away the punishment that was, that was meant for us. Good. In his grace, he made us his children. In his mercy, he took the sin or the price of death that needed to be paid, that you and I needed to pay with our death. He took that, placed it upon his son Jesus, and in his grace, he gave us not just a free pass, he gave us uh, uh, adoption papers. He brought us into his house. He said, as the prodigal son's father did, slaughter the fattened calf. My son has come home. And he ran and he embraced us. And all of heaven rejoiced when you and I turned to the Lord and asked for forgiveness for our sins. That's the grace of God. That's the mercy of God. And if you want to know how much God hates sin, just look at what he did to his son. If you want to know how serious God is about sin, look how much Jesus suffered. Look how much Jesus suffered for sin. Because he sent down his son so that his son would suffer with us instead of us suffering for eternity without him. That's our God who is intimately invested in every detail of our lives. Jesus died and suffered for our sins. As I said, Jesus died to reconcile us with God. That's the second part of the verse. If you could put it up again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. <clears throat> For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us, hallelujah, to God, being put to death in the flesh, but alive in the spirit. He died in order to reconcile us with the Father. We were enemies of God. Romans says that we were enemies of God. What's interesting is, it, excuse me, what's interesting is that Jesus' whole ministry on earth was the ministry of bringing people together, of bringing people to him. Do you know one of his biggest criticisms was that Jesus was a friend of sinners? Jesus was hanging with the prostitutes, the tax collectors, um, those who were lepers, those who were outcast, those who were outside of the nation of Israel. He was hanging out with the Samaritans, the woman at the well. And we read these, these, these uh, passages sometimes, and we... We look over them and we gloss over them sometimes because, especially like with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, who not only had five husbands, but now she was living with someone that wasn't even her husband. And Jesus went to her and offered her 
the water that will always satisfy, the water of life. Because these people were considered outcasts. They were considered heretics because they didn't believe exactly as the Jewish people believed. And Jesus went and reached out to them. He reached out to the prostitutes. He reached out to the tax collectors. Tax collectors, by the way, we might say, well, what's the big deal with that? Um, well, tax collectors, what they would do is instead of, um, instead of charging you $100 and giving that $100 to the government, to the Roman government, they would charge you $200, keep $100 for themselves, and give $100 to the government. Matthew, Zacchaeus were tax collectors, hated by the Jewish people because they were considered traitors. They were considered absolute traitors. They were working for an, for an authoritative um, um, imperial government that was there to squash out every ounce of freedom that they had. And they were serving them. They were betraying their own people. And Jesus went and said, hey, come on. Let's go in your house. I want to talk to you about something. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. Come on, let's go. I want to talk to you. The whole crowd. Jesus, he's a sinner. He's a tax collector. I know, I know. It's okay. I want to bring him to me. I want to talk to him. Let's go in your house. No one knows what Jesus said to Zacchaeus in the house. But when Zacchaeus came back out, he said, Lord, I'm going to give back everything that I've stolen and more. Why? Because Jesus was there to bring people back to him. Jesus was there to say, God, my father, has a plan of salvation. God, the father, has a plan to bring you back. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. And in that joy, in that salvation, Zacchaeus couldn't contain it in in himself. He realized the power and the truth of what Jesus was saying. And he was changed, completely changed, because he knew that he was not going to perish eternally, but he was now reconciled to the father. He was no longer an enemy to God. He might still be an enemy to the people in their eyes. It takes a lot of convincing to do. But he was not an enemy to God anymore. Saul, who, who in, in Acts chapter 9 says that he was, he was a, a breathing uh, um, a hatred against the Christian people, was killing and, and, and imprisoning uh, Christian men, women, and children. And when he was converted, people found it hard to believe. But Saul said, it doesn't matter. I, I, I might still be an enemy to some people, but I'm not an enemy to God any longer. He found that truth. That's the power of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and what that means for you and for me when we realize that our sin made us enemies with God, but no longer. God loved us before we even knew him. How much more so now that we are his children Jesus also died for our suffering. In Hebrews chapter 4 with verse 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And we'll stop right there on that verse. Jesus died for our suffering. You know, in the Bible, in Job, when he's suffering, when he loses his family, his possessions, his health, everything but his life, his friends come to him and they see just how much he is suffering. And do you know what they do? They stay in silence for seven days and seven nights, weeping 
tearing their clothes apart as a sign of anguish, of suffering, and sit with him for seven days and seven nights. I mean, that's, a, that's an extreme example of how much this man was suffering. And we look at ourselves sometimes, and it's true. Sometimes when, when a friend is suffering, when someone is going through something, there's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can say that will change the situation. Sometimes we, we say some cheesy things, and we don't really think about them. You know, like in, in, um, in James where it says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials and persecution of every kind. Then we go and we say, count it all joy, count it all joy, smile. That's, that's fake. That's not real. Because Jesus suffered and he cried and he wept, you know, crying, suffering. And we, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a God-given emotion. So anyways, sometimes when you have a friend that suffers or when you're suffering, you don't want anyone to talk to you. Really, you just want someone to be there, right? Someone to stay next to you, um, give you a hug, um, say I'm there for you, whatever you need. Come visit you and just chill, hang out, go walk around the mall, something. And we think no one understands us. We think nobody can relate to us. Our parents don't understand us. Our best friends sometimes, they don't even know what to say. They don't understand us. Do you think Jesus doesn't know what anxiety is? Or what stress is? Or what depression feels like? Jesus came to a people that he created, he set apart, he had a covenant with them, and they rejected him. The cornerstone of their faith, they rejected him. Jesus was heartbroken when he entered into Jerusalem. And they were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were, and Jesus just started weeping and saying, oh, if you only knew what lay ahead. Jesus knew anxiety. Jesus knew depression. Jesus knew hunger. He knew thirst. He knew what it meant to have no friends around him. He knew what it meant to feel isolated. He knew what it meant to stay on his knees for hours and hours and say, my God, my Father in heaven, this cup is too much for me to bear. This is so hard for me to do, Father. This suffering that I'm about to go through. Yet what did he say? Yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knew how it feels to be us. That's what we just read. That Jesus is not a distant God, but he is a God who can empathize with us. Meaning he, he has gone down to our level. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you might be feeling or thinking, Jesus has experienced because he was, he, he was tempted, tried, he did not sin, and that's why he's the high priest, because he was without sin, but he suffered, just like us and more than us. I'd like for us to stand and invite the worship team up here. And I want to read a quote by a, by a priest, his name is John Stott, and he says this about God. He says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it or who couldn't feel it? He says, 
I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on each face detached from the agonies of the world. In other words, he reached nirvana, complete separation from this world, complete joy and bliss. But each time, after a while, I have had to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through hands and feet. Back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. And here's the part that I, I bolded on my notes and I want us to kind of think about. Our sufferings become more manageable in the light of his. Our sufferings are more manageable because we look at his sufferings and we see how, he, how much he suffered And he's telling us, I'm there with you. He's telling us as we have sung, I'll be there with you in the fire. I'll be with you there in the water. When Daniel and the young people were in the fire and they saw what appeared to be an angel, that was Jesus. That was Jesus in the fire with them. When the Israelites were were, were fleeing from Egypt and they came at an impasse and there was a Red Sea and God split the ocean split the sea so they could walk right through it. That was the Lord God Almighty with them. God never abandons his children. God doesn't necessarily take away all of our sufferings, but his promise is that he is there with us every single step of the way. Through your anxiety, through your depression, through your nervousness about the future, through your your physical pains, through your emotional anguish, through your mental questions and doubts, God is there with you and saying, I'm there with you in that fire, in that water. Never shall I leave you nor forsake you. That's the promise of our God. You see, from that Bible study that we had earlier and that I mentioned, we ultimately came to this conclusion. We have two options. Everybody has two options in this world. You can either suffer without Jesus or suffer with Jesus. Those are the only two options everybody on earth has. You can either suffer ignoring Jesus and say, no, God, I got this, or God, I don't believe in you. Or you can suffer and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I see that you are a suffering servant, that you laid down your life on your own accord because of love for me. And Jesus, I know that you've gone through what I'm going through right now. I know that you're feeling what I felt right now because your word says it. And Lord, I need you right now. If you have not accepted Christ into your life and have experienced this, my friend, tonight is the night for you. Tonight is the night where you can look at yourself and see the sin that is separating you from God. And the Holy Spirit can reveal to you right now your need for Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because our God is not a distant God. Our Jesus is not a Jesus that has left us here on earth to suffer and is laughing behind the scenes. No, our Christ wept and suffered right along with us for you and for me. I want to extend that invitation to you tonight. Do you know not just the Lord God Almighty? Do you know the suffering Jesus that died for you and for me?
tonight, if you want to dedicate your life to Jesus and say, Lord, you have suffered for me. I see the sin that's separating me from you. I invite you sometime during a song, come up here in the front and I'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. It's a step of faith. It's a, it's a step in the right direction, showing to God there's nothing magical that happens here. There's nothing that I can say or do. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that can determine whether or not you have seen the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, the price he's paid, and your enmity with God or how distant you are from God. If you want to take that decision tonight, tonight is the night. Why wait till tomorrow? Why wait until tomorrow? I will have that tonight. I don't care if anybody comes here. I don't care if, if 100 people come up here. I want you to talk to God, to let yourself be moved by the Holy Spirit, and to be honest with yourself and be honest with God. Are you trying to handle it yourself? Are you trying to handle life yourself? Because, my friend, you can either handle suffering in life with Jesus or without Jesus. That's it. It doesn't matter who you are. Will you accept the work done on the cross by Jesus. Will you accept the work that he has done? Tonight is the night for you to accept that. And if you want to, I'll, I'll be up here. I'll pray with you. But most importantly, be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. If you want to follow Jesus and make a decision, a verbal decision, because the Bible says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ rose from death and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you shall be saved. That's from the word of God. My friend, that invitation stands tonight. As we sing with the worship team, a few courses of song, take the time to pray and think and meditate on the suffering servant of Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed the message. Be sure to join us Fridays at 730. God bless.